This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. Uh, to show his servants what must soon happen. And Jesus sent his angel to show it to his servant, John, who has told everything he was seen. It is the word of God. It is the message from Jesus Christ. Happy is the one who reads the words uh, of uh, God's message. And happy are the people who hear this message. And that word happy means blessed. And do what's written. The time is near when all this is going to happen. God the Father entrusted the Son, Jesus, with his revelation about what must soon happen. Now, the book of Revelation is full of all kinds of, of epic events and all kinds of apocalyptic literature tools. Man, it's filled with things that just fascinate us, and they fascinated us for 2,000 years, whether you're a saint or a sinner. Things like the mark of the beast, the rise of the Antichrist, the beheading of the martyrs, uh, Armageddon. You see all of these things, and we're, we're drawn into it. It it, it, a, a switch goes off inside of our spirit when we talk about this. I mean, when you look at the book of Revelation, there are disasters in there that are unparalleled since the days of Noah. Uh, you're looking at some, the final battle between God and the devil, between good and evil, and this thing is going on. But the real revelation of Revelation is not an event. The real revelation of the book of Revelation is about a person. In fact, the Bible says the revelation was given to Jesus. It is a revelation of Jesus. Everything in this amazing revelation is spoken in a relationship to Jesus. How Jesus relates to the mark of the beast. How Jesus relates to the Antichrist. How Jesus relates to Armageddon. How Jesus relates to a third built temple. How Jesus relates to the great tribulation. It's all in relation to Jesus. And the revelation speaks of God's presence. It speaks to his love. It speaks to his sacrifice. The revelation of Jesus speaks to his power over all of his enemies and over all the dark things all the dark things in this world. Now, the person who wrote, it, wrote this book, his name was John, John the Beloved or John the Revelator. He wrote down these words, but I want you to remember the one thing while we're studying this over the next two months. It comes to our yesterdays, today, and forever. It's still all about one person. When it comes to our lives or our culture or our society or our homes, it's still about Jesus. He is the number one thing, and that's what we're going to see and we're going to remember as we study the book of Revelation. It's about him. It's not about church doctrine. It's not about religion. It's not about Baptists and Catholics. It's not about Protestants and, and uh, Pentecostals or whatever. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about Jesus. It's about the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, and it's for us followers who choose to follow that Lamb. Um, Y'all, John the Beloved wrote this revelation. Let me give you a little bit of background about John the Beloved. Uh, John the Beloved was one of the 12 disciples. Lots of people think that John was Jesus' first cousin. Uh, if you remember the story of the crucifixion, Jesus is on the cross. There's only one disciple there on that day, and it was John the Beloved. Uh, when Jesus said, Behold, woman, thy son, and son, behold, thy mother. The reason that Jesus would have said that to John is maybe he was a first cousin. We don't know, and quite honestly, it doesn't matter, but it's just an interesting uh, footnote or a side note in the margins of history. John was the son of Zebedee and Salome. Before he became an evangelist, uh, he fished out on the Sea of Galilee. He was this man who was at the Last Supper. He was there when Jesus was in the garden praying. He was there at the crucifixion. Foot, man, you look at the resurrection. John was the one who showed up immediately after Mary Magdalene. He was probably one of the youngest disciples because he got there quicker than everybody else. Um, this, is, this is the dude. This is the guy. And when Jesus went back to heaven, I mean, John, John didn't change. He was an evangelist. That's what he did. Uh, John likely wrote this particular book in the mid-90s. 
uh, of the first century. There was a, a cruel emperor. His name was Domitian. Uh, he was a Roman uh, emperor. His name was Domitian. And what he did, and when you think of it, I mean, Rome was the superpower of the day. They were uh, they were the dudes. And uh, the, Domitian had declared throughout his whole kingdom, throughout the entire empire, that you must worship these pagan gods. Well, to be honest with you, not a lot of people had problem with that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But the people who really rubbed in the wrong way were Christians and Jews. Because they weren't going to bow. I mean, they were deists and theists, and they were they were Christians. Okay, they 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 had a god. They had a religious belief system, and they were very uh, enmeshed in it. Most of them were. Some of them were. And Domitian said, "All right, dude, you don't want to bow? <laughs> Fine." And what happened was there was a persecution of the church. Uh, this was a time when Christians and Jews, Christians and Jews, would be put into the Colosseum. And one of the uh, ancient historians said that on one particular day in the Colosseum, over a thousand. Over a thousand Christians were devoured by wild animals. Uh, y- y'all, and there were people paying tickets to see this. Uh, this is the culture that John speaks Revelation to. This is the culture, this is the society that God gave John the Revelation. A government that did not want Christians to worship. A government who said, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it our way. And you're going to do what we say. If you ever need to study the book of Revelation, maybe it's now. John likely wrote this book in the mid-90s uh, into the persecution of the Jews and the Christians who were affected the, affected the worst. Uh, early church father Tertullian writes this about the persecution of the early church, just so we get a flavor of what was going on. He says, how fortunate is that church upon which the apostles poured their whole teaching together with their blood, where Peter suffered like his Lord, where Paul was crowned with John's death. And by the way, John's death, John the Baptist, uh, he lost his head. Where the apostle John, after he had been immersed in boiling oil without horn. That means he was, this is, I, I, this is not in the Bible, this is legend. But he was put into a boiling pot of oil, uh, and he came out unharmed. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the word going around in the first century. Was banished to an island. Church, they banished to an island. This island was called Patmos. Back in the day, Britain would send their worst criminals to Australia, and it was a penal colony. If you can imagine back to the first century, Rome had their own penal colony. It was called Patmos. It was a prison without walls. It was just this rocky, nightmarish little little island, and that's where they would send all their, their worst political prisoners and societal dissidents. And John the Evangelist found himself there. And it's there on that island that God kind of pulled back the curtains of eternity and allowed John the Beloved to see into it, to see things that were about to happen. This particular book is written with what's called an apocalyptic literature uh, flair. It means it's full of numbers. It means it's full of symbols. It's full of character and, uh, carefully animated uh, people and, 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 and creatures. And the reason why that happens is the reason why God chose to use that particular flavor is that every generation has read the book of Revelation in their own setting. If you were in the 1500s, you read Revelation through those eyes. If you're in 2021, you see Revelation through those eyes because there's so much imagery and there's so many ways to apply that to the culture. And the truth is, this is a battle and this is a war and this where we're going has been predetermined before the foundations of the world were ever, uh, were ever there. And this is a book about warning. It's about preparedness. It's a book about caution, ready for Jesus to come back. In this book, I know I'm giving you a lot, but there's so much there to give. Uh, in this book, there's over 400 Old Testament references. 
in the book of Revelation, in this book. Uh, 48 different church doctrines are dealt with, given the final word, everything from the nature of God to the imminent return of Jesus. This is the book. For 2,000 years, believers have found strength from this book, and they've drawn in courage and boldness in times like that we're in right now. Uh, they're found in Revelation. Uh, whether you're a saint or a sinner alike, you've got a view on Revelation. This was a, this was a, a headline from last week's USA Today. that says, is the, is the vaccine the, the mark of the beast? This wasn't a Christian author. I know this isn't a Christian author who wrote this, but the world, whether it's saved or lost, sane or sinner, they've got an idea of where we're coming from with the, with the book of, of Revelation. They, they are aware of, of where we are. Of the 66 books of the Bible, only one promises a blessing from the reading of it. Only one promises a blessing from the doing of it. That's the book of Revelation. Look again at verse 3. Happy or blessed is the one who reads the words of God's message. And happy or blessed are the people who hear this message and do what's written in it. The time is near when all of this will happen. There is a blessing that's found when we read this book publicly. There's a blessing that's found when you read this book privately on your own. And to be honest with you, in the world that we're in right now, man, I'm glad we have this book. I'm glad we, we have a book that has signposts to prophecy that you and I see closely spaced together and they're coming at us quicker now than what they ever have been before. I'm glad that the book of Revelation is in our hands and I'm glad that we have it in our day. We can see all this going on, church, from the beginning of this amazing book. John's prologue, his greeting, his hymn of praise, the Father's announcement of Christ's imminent return. All of them. Declare that the last 22 chapters of the New Testament are about one person. You know him? Jesus. Let's look at how John tells, let's look at how John describes Jesus. So what we need to know about him by what he writes here in like the first seven, eight verses of Revelation. John the Revelator tells us that John is, uh, that Jesus is, is right on time. This is what we can learn. Jesus is right on time. There are those in the church who says that he's not coming back, and there are those without the church that are questioning whether Jesus is coming back. It doesn't matter. Some of them ignore. They brush off the promise. But I want you to understand, Revelation gives us the warnings about Jesus' return. His it gives us a description of his grace and that he's right on time. The Apostle Peter definitely saw the day that we're living in when he wrote these words. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers, doubters, critics will come scoffing. That's what scoffers do. Just like haters hate, scoffers are going to scoff. And following their own desires, this is what they will say. Where is the coming he promised? Where is Jesus that promised to return? Y'all, I've heard this in the church and I've heard this out of the church. I've heard this from saved people and lost people. The subtler context from Christians say this, Preacher, you're talking about all the signs of the times for years, but life still goes on. In other words, they're saying, you know what? You preach this message every year and nothing changes. To this, Peter continues, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a what? Y'all, God, God doesn't see time the way you and I do. You and I measure time, and we engage time, and we move through time 
differently than God does. Our days aren't a thousand years, and our thousand years aren't a day, but God's are. Jonathan Edwards masterfully explains this. He says, the eternity of God's existence is nothing else but his immediate, perfect, and invariable possession of the whole of his unlimited life together and at once. In other words, there's no change in God whatsoever. No matter how old he gets, God never changes. No matter how old He is or how long time goes on. There's no diminishment of who He is. There's no trace of alteration in His character. He is the same yesterday. He's the same today as He was yesterday. And He'll be the same tomorrow as He's always been. That's how God sees time. He remains untouched by the winds of time, not you and me. He is without beginning or end, not us. And he has no temporal succession. That is, he doesn't move through time the way we do. What we see is we see this. We see the present slowly slipping into the past. And we see the future slowly slipping into the present. God doesn't see it that way. And by the way, that's just the parameter he put on himself. I'm not saying he can't because he's not omnipotent. I'm just saying these are the limits that God has put on himself. He He sees April 4th, 1332 the same way that he sees that same date a thousand years in the future he sees it all at one time he overlooks it all and he sees it like a map all displayed out god even sees time in a unique matter we under time we understand time sequentially god sees it all at one time for a thousand years psalm 90 for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it passed or as a watch in the night that's how the lord keeps track of time So where is he? Where is Jesus? I'm going to tell you exactly where he is. He's right on time. He's not dragging his feet. He's not catching up. He's not tying up loose ends. He's just right on time. The second thing John tells us about Jesus Jesus is this. He's all about that grace. You don't know how hard it was for me to say he's all about that base. That was what was on my lips. And I've tried now for two services not to say that. And thank God I got through. He's all about that grace. Revelation 1, 4 through 6. From John to the seven churches in the country of Asia. We're going to unpack all that stuff later into this series. It's going to be a two-month series. This is what it says. Grace. Church, say grace. Grace and peace to you from the one who was and the one who's coming. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the faithful witness, the first among those who raised from the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the one who loves us. He's the one who made us free from our sins by the blood of his death. He made us to be a kingdom of priests who serve God, his father, to Jesus, glory and power. For how long? Well, forever and ever. And I agree. Y'all, these seven churches that we're going to talk about, they were real seven legitimate churches. They probably knew one another. They might have shared some activities together. Um, I want you to compare it to the way we know about Ellis Grove Baptist Church or that we know about St. John's or we know about Stillville Baptist. We, we know who we are and we know what's going on in these places. And we may be different even denominationally, but we all share the same Savior. All of those churches and, and those seven churches, they all had their own hang-ups, their own idiosyncrasies, and they all had their own features and they all had their own bugs, but they all had the same Savior. They all had the same Jesus. Now, there are uncanny resemblances to the ups and downs that those churches had, Smyrna, Thyatira, and we're going to talk about those, Ephesus, Philadelphia. But the troubles they have seem to reflect the different troubles that the churches had through the ages. Um, the, fancy, the fancy word for that is historical dispensationalism. 
You won't have to know that nor spell it, but we will unpack it as we go. Uh, we're going to talk about that. But I want you to understand, no matter where you were at that time and no matter where you are at this time, God's all about grace. He's all about grace. And we can show one another grace. I could show, I could show Jeff in the and Jeff show me grace, but it pales in comparison to the type of grace God gives us. You ever try to take a picture of a sunset or a sunrise or the moon coming up with your phone because you look at it and it's like, oh, it's so freaking awesome. And you look at your phone and it's like, eh, that's no good. Well, that's kind of the comparison between how we give each other grace and how God gives us grace. We give each other like pictures on an iPhone 5, okay? Uh, God's got the 12 Max Pro, you know, it kind of shows everything. And so we can, we can do those snapshots, but God is the one who gives the full picture when we're looking at that. What was it that we needed to be shown grace from to begin with? I mean, what did we do? I mean, when we show grace to somebody, we give something they don't deserve. Or, or we, you know, we, 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 we just kind of push them along a little bit and we encourage them. Well, what did we do that made us eligible for grace or need grace well the bible is real clear about that revelation 1 5 he is the one who loves us who made us free from what there's your money shot the reason why we need grace is because we're sinners the reason why we need grace and we need grace is because we have fallen short from the glory of god the work jesus accomplished for us on the cross the love he displayed for us on calvary the blood he the blood he showed on golgotha y'all that that's grace Okay, me forgiving a $10 bet, that's the iPhone 5 picture. Forgiving me of all my sins. Oh man, that's that 1080i, that's that 4K HD picture. The reason why we needed grace is because we have, we messed up. We, we've got sin, we've lied, we cheat, we lust, we get angry. We do all these things, and we've done all these things, so we need grace. Sinners are forgiven by God, set them free from sin, set them free from death, set them free from the grave by the sacrifice of jesus on calvary y'all he died in our place the cross that belonged to you god made his the cross that belonged to us he allowed jesus to be our pinch hitter the cross that should have been ours god allowed jesus to substitute his place for us on the cross church the work jesus accomplished for us that's grace he died in our place the cross that belonged to us he took his justice was satisfied and god is able now to take repentant sinners and turn them into saints because of jesus we have a brand new start in that we didn't do a thing to deserve jesus dying for us he died for us because he loves us y'all it wasn't the jews that killed jesus it wasn't the romans that killed jesus it was pam and it was Mike, and it was Robin, and it was Ethan, and it was Bird, and it was Sarah. Y'all, it wasn't the Jews and the Romans, it was our sin. Let me tell you why so many people have rejected Jesus. It's because they have rejected to believe that they're sinners. Well, I don't have anything wrong, I'm not a sinner, I never sin. Well, the Bible says, like, for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. And until we understand that we need grace or until we understand the lostness of our lostness, chances are people will never go to Jesus to be their Savior because they think, what would I need to be saved from? I'm a good person. Man, we all need a Savior. We all need a Redeemer. Because with God, sin doesn't come in colors nor does it come in sizes. That's right. So we all need grace. But the moment you realize, man, I've blown this thing. I need help. Oh man, welcome to, welcome to accepting Jesus. When you realize you're broken and he's the one who can fix you, you are well on your way. 
And church, the, the truth of the matter is, we're all broken and we all need fixed. You ever see a highlight reel on Sports Center or back in the day, ABC Wide World of Sports with Howard Cosell? They would show those highlight reels, and until I was 12, I thought Larry Bird never missed. Because that's what they show on the highlight reel, you know, 112 yards out, you know, and he, he sinks it and things like that. Uh, and Michael Jordan, I grew up watching Michael Jordan. And if you look at his high, uh, highlight reels from Sports Center or things like that, you'd think that dude never missed. Because on the highlight reel, they edit out all the misses. They edit out all the fouls. They edit out all of the missed shots and all the lost opportunities. All they have are the best things that that player did on the field. That teaches me something a little bit about what grace is. I'm pretty sure what do you mean by that? If your life was a highlight, if your life was a movie, a reel, I don't know about you, but there's things I just assume they leave on the cutting room floor. There's things I hope don't make it into the real. Oh, baby, this is where grace comes in. By God's grace, the picture of how our lives will be remembered in eternity will not have any of those things that we're ashamed and embarrassed about, won't have any of our sin. Oh, listen to me. Some of y'all are going to get some hope today. In Isaiah 43, 25, we read this. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions, not for your sake, but for my sake, and I remember your sins no Y'all, our highlight reel has all of our foul-ups, all of our sin, all of our failures, all of our mistakes. They've been edited out, and the only thing in heaven's left is your highlight reel. Oh, preacher, you've got to show me that in the Bible. Well, thank you for asking, because I'm going to show it to you. <laughs> Revelation 14, 13. Jesus and John speak this to the martyrs that lose their death after the church has ascended, after the rapture. People who come to Jesus during the tribulation are, are faced with it. I'm going to say that again, because somebody needs to hear that. After the rapture, you are given the decision to take a mark. You don't take the mark, you die. They behead you. And when those Christians die during the tribulation, their soul goes to heaven. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed, happy are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds will... It's the only thing that makes it to the highlight reel. Your sins have been blotted out. Your sins have been forgiven. Brother, that's grace. That's the iPhone 12 Max. Or maybe Samsung if you're one of those people. I don't know. <laughs> now that is so awesome. I want, no, wonder John, no wonder John said this in, in verse 6. Because my sins are blotted out, because I'm on my way to heaven, because God doesn't remember my sin, praise <laughs> to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. John was happy about grace. How about you? Amen. Yeah. In our world that's changing every news cycle, I want you to understand something. God ain't changed a bit. He hasn't changed since he said, let there be light. Same God that spoke to Moses through the burning bush. Well, he's the same God that speaks to us today. 
He's a holy God and he's a gracious God. In our COVID-19 COVID world where aborting the unborn is a constitutionally protected right, God forgive us. Where prayer and the Bible have been removed from the schools. And y'all, this, this is a headline. You can, go to, you can do this. We took prayer and the Bible out of school and instead, uh, let's, let, let, let's implement LGBTQ curriculum. And by the way, if you're wondering what state that's from, that's the glorious state of Illinois. But here's the thing, whether we're dealing with any of these issues, whether it's COVID-19 or abortion or what's going on in the schools, we need to understand something. None of that nullifies the kingship of God. He's still God. No matter what's going on in our world or how upside down our world is, he's still God. He hasn't went anywhere. Hey, he's not even changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and yeah, he's still God. John the Revelator tells us that Jesus is about to come back, and I'm winding down. Somebody just said amen. Oh, well. Uh, I'm assuming you're saying amen for Jesus is coming back, but it could have went either way. A Revelation 1, 7 through 8. Look, Jesus is coming with the clouds, and everyone will see him, even those who stabbed him. Oh, that's incredible. Even those who stabbed him, and all the peoples of the earth will cry loudly because of him. Yes, this will happen. Amen. The Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one who was, who, who is and was and is coming. I am the Almighty. You know, people doubting Jesus coming back, even Christians, even some Christians, you know, they're, they're thinking, well, man, if he's not come back by now, he ain't coming back. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible's very clear about the imminence and the certainty of Jesus' return. Look, Jesus is coming. I've just read that. Look, Jesus is coming. But I want you to see where, where Peter says this in 2 Peter 3. It is most important for you to understand what will happen in the last days. People are going to laugh at you. They'll live doing the evil things they want to do. And they'll say, Jesus promised to come again. Where is he? Our fathers have died, but the world continues the way it has ever since it was made. Y'all, the world may doubt the second coming of Jesus, but the Bible leaves zero room for doubt about the coming of Christ. And this word is true. There are more than 500 verses in the Bible about the Messiah's return. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament points to the return of Jesus. Now, you may not have made up your mind that Jesus is coming back, but you need to understand that the Bible has made up its mind on whether Jesus is coming back. He's very clear. Jesus talked about it over and over. The apostles told us to be ready for it. John said, it's the most important for you to get this fact. The word behold or listen up is used 25 times in the book of Revelation. Basically, it's saying, woo right here, pay attention to this. The first behold in Revelation, it talks about one event. Behold, the Lord is coming soon. That's the first thing out of the chute. That must be pretty important. That is one of those first off issues. He's coming back. Church, Jesus said it. We'll look this way in Matthew 24, 30. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the peoples of the world will cry, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds and the sky with great power and glory. In the book of Acts, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, when the disciples were looking up, two angels pop up out of nowhere, out of the ethereal, 
and begin out of the ether and just say, hey, what are y'all looking at? Look here. As the wave was going, as he was going, they were looking into the sky. Suddenly, two men wearing white clothes stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking in the sky? Jesus, whom you saw taken up from heaven, will come back in the same way you saw him go. Church, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know how it will. I know what it'll look like. You're going to see Jesus coming down from the sky in the clouds. Preacher, do you believe that? I believe that just as much as I believe my sins were washed away at Calvary. Yes, I do. I believe he's coming back. He can come back before the end of this sermon. And if so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. But he's coming back. The Bible is clear on that. And I want you to, uh, you know, a promise is only as good as some the person who gives it. Who gives those promises? I want you to look at what he says. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And when he says, I am, it's actually a callback to the book of Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. When Moses is out in the shepherd and there's a fire in a burning bush. And he hears the voice coming from the bush that's not burning, but yet it's on fire. And Moses said, whoa, this isn't right. And God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am. And so when he says, I am in Revelation, it's a callback to what he told Moses back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I want you to think about that from A to Z, past, present, and future. God is the God over it all and every spot in between. And then he says, I am the God Almighty. Church, say Almighty. That means that God can do anything. It deals with his omnipotence, his, all, his sovereignty, his all-powerfulness. And so when he's saying, when we ask ourselves, well, who, who's promised us, who's promised us that Jesus is coming back? God wrote his name at the bottom of that promise. He said, my son's going to return. Let me write my name on there. These are the names I go by. I am uh, Alpha and Omega or Alif and Tav if you're doing the Hebrew. I am the Lord God Almighty. Church, if the Lord puts his name on your paycheck, you know that check is going to be cash. That's who wrote his name at the end of that promise. And church, as long as God continues to be God, Jesus is coming back. Amen. That's the promise that we're given here. And that's the promise that ought to fill us with courage and confidence. Jesus first came in humiliation. He's coming again in exaltation. Last time he came, he came to serve. But sisters, when he comes back next time, he's coming to be served. First time he came, he came as a suffering servant. When he comes back again, it won't be an ass he's riding on. It will be on a white stud who ain't ever been rode before. You ever rode a horse that ain't ever been rode before? You're a bad hombre. You're on a horse that never been rode before. But he ain't coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming back as the king. Man, I read a story this week. One of the most beloved kings in the middle uh, medieval period in, in London was uh, King Richard I. He was called the Lionhearted. Everybody loved him. He was a good guy. His brother uh, was a jerk. His name was John. Uh, Richard, Richard I uh, went to fight uh, Solomon. And he went and he did that. And while he was gone his brother, being the snake that he was, took over the kingdom. Nobody could stand this dude. They hated him. And they were saying, where's our king? Please come back. The Lionhearted, please come back. And sure enough, one day, Richard I came back and he had received reports about what was going on to his subjects and what was going on in his rule and his reign and what was going on in his, his nation. And when he came back, he didn't turn his head left or right. 
He put his eyes on his throne, and that's where he went. He was knocking down John's troops every time he passed every time he passed them. And eventually, he got to his throne, kicked John out, and he came to the throne. Songs were written about that campaign. Stories were written about that campaign. You ever read the book or read the story or seen the film Robin Hood? It came from this particular thing. And when King Richard the first came back onto the throne, when the Lionhearted was there, they cried out songs that went like this: "The Lion is back." Long live the king. They'd been looking for him. They had been anticipating them because they knew he was good and they knew he was fair and they knew that he was a strong, loving, generous king. Church, I've got good news for you. I'm expecting the king that's way better than King Richard I. I'm expecting not the lion hearted. I'm expecting the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he's coming back and there is nothing that will stop him from returning. There is nothing that will put up a roadblock. There is nothing that can prevent Jesus from coming back. Y'all, for those who try, they'll be swept away. And only those who've longed for his appearing, who love him and acknowledge him as the rightful king, will enjoy the blessing of his kingdom. If my musicians would come forward, I'd appreciate it. Y'all, we've been introduced to the opening shots of Revelation today. We found out that A, Jesus is always right on time. And number two, we found out that Jesus is all about that grace. And thirdly, we found out that Jesus is going to come back real soon. You see, Revelation isn't primarily about Armageddon or the, the beast or the mark of the beast. It's not about economic collapse. It's not about the whore of Babylon. You see, Revelation is about Jesus and how all of these things operate in relation to him. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. To me, it's a blessing to know that this timeless, gracious, Merciful God is our God. He's on our side. He's in our corner. The one who sees it all in a moment's glance is the one who's backing us up. And church, the more you choose to know him, the more you will know him. And the more you know him, the more you're going to love him. You see, it's not Mike's revelation. It's not Anna's revelation. It's not Bev's revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't have to read into it. I want Jesus to tell me what it means for me you see it's all about him and what he's ordered up for us and what he's planning I think I've told this story before but if I go ahead and play people I may have told you this story before growing up mom and dad uh, my dad my, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad worked out in the oil fields didn't own them he worked in them quiet Anytime we would go to a restaurant, remember the kid menus they give you? Okay. I was fat at seven, all right? I like to eat at seven. And when they would bring out that kid's menu, it was like, again, hot dogs, french fries. Because my dad, they brought out like the captain's hog platter for him, you know? French fries hanging off the side. And here's my six fries with a hot dog. And when it was on vacation, it was worse. Because those plates were as big as a tire. But not the Joey plate. No. Joey plate was still about the size of a tea saucer. So I began to think, how can, how can I get this food? So, me and my mom, my brother, and my dad, we went into this place. They bring out the menus. And I didn't even pick up the kids' menu. First time in my life, I didn't pick up the kids' menu. I guess, I'm assuming they thought I knew what I was going to get. 
waitress came, took everybody's order, and looked at me last. Say, what will you have? I'll take whatever my dad ordered. Never will look back, baby. Never look back. Never been the same since, man. Because I knew whatever my dad ordered was good. And there's going to be a lot of it. And I'm all about good and a lot of it. Whatever I ordered off the kids' menu, I was happy with, but I wasn't satisfied. We serve a God who's come alongside us and said this. I've got the best things for you, church. I have the best will for you. I have the best plan for you. I have the best agenda for you. I have the best ministries for you. I have all of this for you. Stop ordering off your menu what you think is going to bring you happiness. Stop ordering off your little kid's menu that thinks it's going to make you satisfied. Let me order for you. Church, let God order for you. He'll guide your steps. He'll plant your path. He'll keep your feet sure. That's the God of Revelation. He doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. And as long as you order off your menu, you'll be happy at best. When you start letting daddy order for you, whoo, that's a meal. Y'all, this whole month, we're going to be, well, the next two months, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. There's 404 verses in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be in them for about 50 days. Today, I'm going to challenge you to read eight verses a day. Eight verses, that's all, because that's all you need to do to get done with this book in uh, 50 days. But here's the thing. This is the only book given in Scripture that says there's a blessing to reading it and a blessing to doing it. I'm wanting to put the tools in your box to help you. I want you to make a commitment with me to read eight verses a day out of the book of Revelation and pray about it. Pray before you read. Read it. And then pray again. Now, I'm going to give you the exact prayer that I want you to pray after you've read it. You ready? Write this down. I'm playing. Don't write it down. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. We think prayer is what's coming out of our mouth. Church prayer is what God deposits in our heart. We're always talking and talking and talking. And God's saying, I wish you'd be quiet so I could talk. Listen to what I have to say. And here's the thing, church. Whatever he has to say is so much more important than whatever we would have to say. So that second prayer. Pray before you read. Read and then be quiet. Just listen for those thoughts that you know aren't yours. Listen for those thoughts that you know is not your voice. And what's going to happen is you're going to grow. And you're going to be blessed. Hey, can you think of something more blessed than the God creator of the universe speaking to you? I can't. There's a blessing that's going to come from this. And I pray that you, I pray that you partner with us. I want to ask you to stand. Don't forget we have Connect Group Wednesday night at uh, 6 o'clock. We have a meal from 5 to 6 that we would love for you to come to. You won't have to worry about supper that night. Just come and be a part of it. Almighty God, thank you so much for the blessing of your word. Oh, Lord. Thank you for, for touching our hearts and speaking to us this morning, Lord. Your precious presence means so much to us. And thank you, Father, for letting us 
feel you and know you and touch you this morning. And Lord God, I believe that you touched our hearts today. Our Holy Spirit, I believe that you spoke to some of us today. Thank you for that. Father, find us faithful in these last days. Find us alert and ready for the coming and the appearing of our Savior and your Son, Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would bless them and keep them, that your face would shine upon them and be gracious to them, that you would lift your countenance upon them and give them your peace. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And amen. God bless you.